Welcome to The Art of Intimate Marriage with Dr. Jennifer Conzin. Sensitive yet frank advice for enjoying every benefit of one of God's most fundamental gifts. Dr. Conzin is a licensed marriage and family counselor, sex therapist, as well as an adjunct professor, award-winning researcher, author, and speaker. With today's conversation on the biblical approach to fulfilling intimacy in marriage, here's Jennifer. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Jennifer Conson with The Art of Intimate Marriage. And in our previous broadcast, we went over what are some of the issues in an overlapping way between drugs and alcohol and addiction and sexuality. And how do sexual functioning challenges overlap with the use of substances? So this is part two, and we're going to continue that discussion. There will probably be a part three on treatment. So if you were to actually work on recovering from those issues, what would that look like? So today we're going to tap on treatment um, because it plays into this whole picture. So Sexual addiction and um, food addiction and gambling addictions, those are the behavioral disorders. And then drug addiction, meaning uh, illicit drugs, heroin, meth, cocaine, and over-the-counter medications, pain medications, and so on, and then alcohol, and then marijuana. All of these can create issues with sexuality. And sexuality can cause people to do those behaviors. And it's important that when people are getting help, that they're getting help with both. A relapse in one often causes, or let's say this, problems in one area often cause a relapse in the other. When people are having sexual issues in their marriage, they'll sometimes relapse. When people are having problems with recovery, they'll often end up engaging in sexual behaviors to deal with that. So these things, they overlap quite a bit. So it's important that in the care that you receive, and as you're listening today, make sure that you're getting help with both areas of life, of the issues that you're dealing with. So let me just go over some more of the facts. In the previous broadcast, I talked about some of the male disorders. So this was erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation, and that 20% of men um, using substances experience erectile dysfunction, and about 37% of men who use drugs are having premature ejaculation. Well, with alcohol, well, alcohol is the highest among women who have negative expectancies for sex. In other words, they're anticipating sex being negative in some way, so the use of alcohol is higher. This is straight out of the research. Or if women in general have a negative attitude or feeling about sex, their use of alcohol is higher. So I don't have a number on that, but it's definitely higher. Also, of course, we know that alcohol disinhibits, and so it can lead to assaults. There's a much, much greater percentage of sexual assaults that occur where somebody is under the influence and when, when they are the one who is being assaulted. Also, people are much more likely to commit an assault, much higher likelihood of committing assault under the influence of drugs and alcohol, especially alcohol being a big one. 
with marijuana in particular, I'm going to read this quote to you from a research study. His sexually addictive acts went hand in hand with his use of marijuana and cocaine. All right. So this is about sexual addiction and drug addiction overlapping, and they do. I find this quite a bit. I have a number of couples that have been in my office who are dealing with meth and sexual behavior, sexual acting out, or dealing with marijuana and alcohol and sexual addiction or anything of that of that kind of combination. So the challenge is this then is related to the sexual functioning that people experience both in their background and in their marriage. Meth does enhance sexuality early on and then it causes inhibition later on. People have a background in heroin. They used it to to increase their sexual performance and to create a more rigid penis. And then it actually starts causing problems with maintaining erection and reaching orgasm later. So people will use substances and use sexuality back and forth quite a bit to deal with it. Um, this is some, some research on co-addiction. So what that means is when someone has a sexual addiction and a drug and alcohol addiction, about 3 to 6% of the U.S. population is actually engaged in both drugs and alcohol and sexual addiction. 70% of cocaine addicts also act out compulsively sexually. 76% of meth addicts reported that they are obsessed with sex. 40% of meth addicts and 47% of cocaine addicts say that their sexual fantasies triggered their drug use. So they were having a sexual fantasy, which then led them to use. And um, definitely substance use is highest when someone also has a sex addiction. So they these two things are very, very intertwined. Sex addiction, when it goes untreated, can often lead to a chemical dependency relapse. So when it comes to rape and assault, which I mentioned earlier, 37% of rapes and sexual assaults involve alcohol. So 75% for males and 55% of females, college students, have been involved in a date rape they were drinking and using. Uh, This was 63% for victims and 30% of alcohol and then 30% for victims who were utilizing marijuana. So It's much higher. The percentage of assault is much higher in the use of specifically alcohol and marijuana. Definitely alcohol is the most used drug for date rape. And half, 50% of people who have been victims of sexual assault had their first use within a year of the assault. In other words, the assault itself within about a year led to drug and alcohol use. So hence this overlapping of substances and sexuality in many, many different ways. So how does that affect the marital relationship? Well, specifically, if somebody has used heroin in their background, heroin is kind of similar in how it affects the body that uh, with as Viagra is. It actually uses nitric oxide. It increases that in the blood and it increases penile rigidity. And so this is a quote from one user of heroin. Heroin makes you go forever. It felt good for a long time, but then orgasm was impossible. So right out of somebody's 
personal words, we see that that overlapping issue. This is the words from somebody who used cocaine. The rush of cocaine gave extremely intense erections and orgasms. I think this is why it is so hard for me to stop. So because they really enjoyed what it felt like, the intensity, then when they engaged sexually and it wasn't that intense, it caused relapse. So we just need to understand how one affects the other. It can be super helpful. One other individual in regards to cocaine said that sex served as a potent trigger for the cocaine. In other words, the actual engagement in, in a sexual relationship led to a relapse in their cocaine use. So we need to be aware of this when we're dealing with our own process of recovery. Sometimes people will use poppers, and so uppers might be another word, used, they use them for orgasm intensification. Sometimes people will use it to get the more surge of blood to the tissues. And it also, people have reported that it actually increases and heightens their sexual awareness. So then when they don't use poppers and they're engaging sexually and they're not having those experiences, again, it can lead to relapse. And also there is a recreational and misuse of Viagra. There, people will use an, unpre- unprescription, an unprescribed dose of Viagra in order to have that heightened sense of sexuality. Sildenafil can be mixed with other drugs, and they'll, the terms that are used are vast in how, that's, how that interacts. So it's important. Mixing Viagra with poppers, because Viagra does one thing to the body, the poppers do another. They mix it, though, and it can be super dangerous to the physical body, and it's potentially fatal. So that mixture of Viagra and other drugs, problematic. Make sure, check yourself, is that happening in your life? So other things that influence the use of drugs and alcohol with sexuality are that if somebody has a background in trauma, if they've been traumatized, often their trauma will get triggered and it'll cause use to happen. That trauma might get triggered in the midst of the sexual relationship or somebody has an untreated background in trauma and therefore their use of substances is triggered when they have flashbacks and when they have depression and anxiety in relation to their trauma. In fact, a lot of the times people use drugs because they want to numb out the pain from the memories of the sexual trauma. So sometimes because people have a background in trauma, they will then turn two drugs and alcohol to help with that pain. Just remember, there, when you're dealing with sexuality and drug and alcohol use, there can be a lot of different reasons why somebody uses. All right, I'm going to take a brief moment to just discuss with you how this affects the marital couple relationship. One of the things that happens is a term I think is really helpful. It's called traumatic bonding. So this is when there's a less secure attachment in the couple. And so they engage in the use of usually alcohol, but it can also be any other kind of drug, uh, marijuana, meth, any other substance. 
And they engage in that because when they do, it increases their bonding and they create what you, what you would call in the field of treatment a traumatic bonding. That's that they feel like they're very bonded, but it only occurs in the midst of use. Couples often will say that they enjoy a lot deeper communication and a lot better sex while they're drinking. So that's traumatic bonding. It also can lead to using those substances during challenging times in marriage. So the amount of substances will go up in use when the couple is struggling in their marriage. Be aware of how that traumatic bonding can affect relapse into use. Also, some of the ways that addiction affects a couple is how they interact around enabling behaviors. What that means is a spouse who basically doesn't confront their partner. Enabling behaviors can look like a lot of different things. They don't confront their partner. They let it go. They, they lie for them. They tell people stories to cover up their partner's use. So lying and covering up stories and not confronting use, that pattern can sometimes continue even when somebody's in sobriety. So enabling behaviors can come up for couples with a background in any form of addiction. And then also, if somebody has a background where they have given in sexually in order to stop their spouse from engaging in use in any kind of addiction, then that use of sexuality to keep their partner next to them, to keep their partner from engaging in specifically, especially sexual addiction, if People have engaged sexually in order to keep their partner sober, to keep their partner away from some kind of addiction. It's going to be super problematic in the couple's relationship. Giving in to sexual demands also happens uh, where people will engage in sexual behaviors that they would normally not feel comfortable with, but they do it because they don't want their spouse to go and use and do things that are problematic. So addictions definitely affect a couple in many different ways. Sometimes there's boundary violations. Sometimes there's a lot of secrets that have gone on. And those challenges to the couple can increase the level of conflict happening. It can create problems with where someone doesn't feel like there's any safety or any trust in the relationship. It can impact sexual intimacy, which we've definitely been talking about, but it also impacts relational intimacy. So Couples will often share how they don't feel like they can talk anymore. They don't feel like they can have really genuine conversations anymore. And that the the substance use and the background with sexuality has created a division between them and they can't even share hurts and fears and worries and dreams, those kinds of conversations. Also, when there's been drug and alcohol in the background and there's been sexual betrayals and when there's been sexual functioning difficulties... Often there's a lot of healing that needs to take place in the couple because there might be some betrayals of trust. There might be some sexual betrayals that happen. There might be lying in the background, like I mentioned earlier. So there's usually a lot of healing that needs to occur for the couple. Communication can become super challenging. That's Like I said, conflict can be higher. And so the ability to have healthy communication has to be addressed. And then, of course, reestablishing healthy boundaries, how to say no to certain things, how to have healthy boundaries emotionally and physically. 
So these are all a part of some of the specific challenges that couples experience when there has been an overlap between sexual challenges and the use of drugs and alcohol. So let me just take a brief moment here to explain what you're listening to. So this is broadcast on KBride every Saturday morning. You can also listen to previous recordings of the broadcasts that have been done throughout uh, this whole last year on my website, The Art of Intimate Marriage. So go ahead. If you're needing some more support and some more resources, go on to my website. You'll find a blog there. You'll find links to buying my book if you want to read The Art of Intimate Marriage and uh, a new book that we just released, Redeemed Sexuality. Uh, you can also listen to the previous podcasts on that website. Also, this is a listener-supported ministry. If you are receiving some help by listening to this, we really encourage you, spread the love and go on the website, click on the link, and support this ministry so that we can expand how often and where it is listened to. So let me get back to some of the challenges that are specific to couples when they're dealing with sexuality and drugs and alcohol. It can be super difficult for couples that use drugs and alcohol to have deep communication to then learn how to communicate vulnerably and how to have intimate conversations that only occur during use. It's important to learn those skills. It's important to learn how to have fun. Often couples will say that really they had so much fun when they were drinking and then all of a sudden they're not drinking anymore and the relationship doesn't seem as much fun. And so the lack of fun in the marital relationship can re lead to relapse. This is super important for married couples to pay attention to. If we're not having fun in our marriage, we could be endangering our process of recovery. Let's say you've been in really good recovery for some time but your marriage starts to become stale. A part of good recovery is a good couple's relationship. Make sure that you're having a lot of fun together. Sometimes what happens though, is that when somebody has finally come to the point of deciding they need to recover, a spouse says, I'm glad you're sober, but I'm done. I'm done waiting. There's too much damage. And that comes in my office actually quite a bit when the drugs and the alcohol have caused and all the addictions have caused so much damage in the marriage. Often what happens is people have to be involved in very rigorous individual recovery and the partner needs to see their wife, their husband involved in rigorous recovery in order to have any hope of the relationship continuing especially if there have been betrayals, sexual betrayals in particular. So I tell couples, you may have to wait for a while to see if your spouse is really going to engage in valid treatment. Take the time. Take the time. If you are the partner who's in use, go get in a good recovery program. So sometimes you have to delay working on the marital relationship in order to get in solid recovery. Often, actually, the regular time that couples come in for professional help is around two to three years. I do have couples that come in immediately for issues in their marriage and issues in their sexual relationship right out of recovery. And that's tricky, but people do do it. A good chunk of the time, people wait a couple of years. And one of the reasons is because there's a lot of bitterness and anger. There's been abandonment. There's been 
betrayals and memories and trauma comes up. And sometimes that happens during sex. I, I can't tell you the number of couples who share that while they were engaging sexually, the trauma just flooded through one of the partners. It's important to be real when that happens. I tell couples, if that happens to you while you're engaging sexually, you may need to pause. In fact, railroading through that triggered memory while engaging in sex can actually cause sexual problems. There are couples that will say that all of their trauma, either in their relationship because of of the betrayals that have happened or because of the drug and alcohol use in their background that has happened, that trauma comes flooding through them in the midst of sex. And so then they start avoiding sex, right? So it's super important to recognize the fact that sometimes when you're engaging and you need to put the brakes on it, that's a good move for your sexual relationship to then sit and talk about what happened. Talk Even when couples are in really good recovery and even maybe for some time, it can still happen. So when either a sexual trauma memory comes up or when a or when the, the hurt and the resentment come flooding into you, when you're in the middle of engaging either emotionally or even physically, take the time to stop and work through that. I call this a bonding moment if it can be. Boy, but if the relationship isn't safe, it's super hard to make that happen. So you may need to establish safety and trust in your relationship in order to really deal with when the trauma comes flooding through you when you're engaging together. I call this attachment injury work. It's important to get the help that you need. Another thing that can come up in, for a couple is there's a lot of grief and loss. When a couple has been involved in use and therefore it's created betrayals or lying or it's caused sexual problems and sometimes it's years and sometimes it's decades. One of the pieces they have to work through is the grief and the mourning they feel about the years of damage that did to the relationship. So there are some very specific challenges that couples have. And one of the things that comes up is that even the process of working through these things can be traumatic. There can be a lot of trauma in the process of recovery. The trauma happens often during use, during drug and alcohol use. But then because all of the problems that the use was masking start coming up during recovery, the time of recovery can feel almost more traumatizing. So it's important to recognize that that's why it's hard for couples to be connected and to be having a great marital relationship when they're also dealing with recovery. It's very destabilizing, actually. The process of obviously use, but then also the process of recovery can be very destabilizing to the marriage, to the family. Sometimes that initial relief that someone is getting help, so this is for the partner of someone that's using, sometimes they can feel super relieved that finally their partner is is getting some help, but then it can be followed by lots of fears, lots of uncertainties, continued destabilizing of the relationship, and then of course if a relapse happens, it's very, very challenging. So relief can be followed by a lot of other anxieties and um, challenges just emotionally. 
And then sometimes what happens is somebody's no longer using, but then their process of recovery feels like it's replaced the drug use. Now they're going to meetings all the time, and so they're never around to have a close marriage, to have a close relationship, to engage sexually. This process of figuring out the balance, because individual recovery is so vital and to having a close, intimate marital relationship, what's the balance then between the importance of maintaining that recovery and the importance on focusing on the couple's relationship? So often, again, that's going to take getting some additional help. Let me just deal with one issue that I've tapped onto a couple different times, and this is the difference between, say, a drug and alcohol addiction and sexual addiction and how that overlaps with sexual functioning. There's just a higher level of betrayal because the actual addiction process happened with someone else's body. It happened with someone else doing sex with someone else in some way. And so sexual problems can come up. It's just important to realize that sexual addiction is often involved with a lower sexual interest. Sometimes it's dealing with erectile difficulties and then they a couple starts engaging and they're no longer using that sexual addiction to deal with their erection problems and so it's there it is it's happening between the couple and that can be very shaming and very difficult to deal with and so it's just important that if somebody has a background in using that is a reflection of the fact they were trying to help with their sexual difficulties um, and so then they got involved in sexual addiction. That can then influence what happens for the couple when they start to re-engage. And it affects their marital sexual relationship. So returning to healthy sexuality, both in finding healthy boundaries and in having genuine connection when sexual addiction has been involved, is has just got another level of, of difficulty. So... All right, we just want to hit one last piece before we leave today. God is the author of all of our healing. The scriptures talk about how when a couple has had these kinds of challenges in their relationship, when an individual has had these kind of challenges in their life, God is the great healer. I've laid out a lot of these challenges and I just want to remind you, go to him. Get help from those in your life that are strong in the scriptures, get their aid in working through your individual challenges, as well as the challenges that you are having as a couple. God is the great healer. He does have the answers. We're going to go into that more in the next broadcast. So if these things have brought up a lot for you, definitely listen to part three. We're going to have a bit more on the healing that God can provide and what treatment looks like. Until then, this is Dr. Jennifer Conson at The Art of Intimate Marriage. Thank you for joining us for The Art of Intimate Marriage. Now, let's be real. This is not a typical radio program, and we know it generates questions. If you have one you'd like Dr. Kanzen to address here on air, email her at jenniferkanzen at yahoo.com. Kanzen is spelled K-O-N-Z-E-N, jenniferkanzen at yahoo.com. We hope today's program was beneficial to you, and if you agree this unique voice should be on the air, your donations will help keep it there. To give or to get more information about the ministry, Dr. Kanzen's Center for Sexuality in San Diego, or to get more resources for improving intimacy in marriage, visit us on the web at theartofintimatemarriage.com. And for more on experiencing the marriage God designed, join us this same time next week for The Art of Intimate Marriage.